Welcome to the most listened to golf in the world, the Fairways of Life show, on air, online, and around the world. With the most candid interviews. We did it, we did it together, and uh, it's just so exciting for me to just be a part of this with them, with all the 11 other players. It's truly an experience that I will cherish forever. Taking you beyond the ropes. Whatever you think is possible for you, or, or even what's not possible, you know, beyond your wildest dreams, go for it. You know, just go for it and think big and believe in yourself and don't let anyone tell you that you can't do anything. Unforgettable stories. He's hit some putts with it, so he gets his phone out and he just takes a picture of the grip and down the putter and doesn't say anything and he just pings it to Tiger. And of course, Tiger pinged him right back like, what in the hell are you doing with my putter? Do not touch <laughs> that putter. <laughs> a bridge to the past. Years and years from now, Mr. Palmer, what do you want the legacy of Arnold Palmer to be? Well, uh, I suppose just that I have made a contribution to the game to help make it a little better. Here's your host, New York Times best-selling author and Golf Channel's Matt Adams. What is going on, folks? Welcome to the program. Absolute delight to have your company. A lot going on at this time with golf. I know that probably sounds strange to you as we're in the middle of the pandemic and all the rest, but... We have golf scheduled for this weekend, the TaylorMade Driving Relief of the event at Seminole. We're going to look into that and get into that with a lot more detail uh, tomorrow. And then we've got what's going on with Tiger and Phil. Dom, what is Tiger and Phil and, and Peyton Manning and, and Tom Brady, what are they calling that event? I think it's called like the Match 2 or something like that, but that's going to be on TNT the following Sunday on the 24th. Yeah, that'll yeah, so we have two live events coming up, and I think it's going to be curious to see when this event airs this weekend from Seminole with DJ and Rory against Ricky and, and Matt Wolf. I have a I have a sneaky feeling that they're going to do huge ratings just because people are you know all sports fans want some live sports. So we'll see how it plays itself. I will talk about that some more tomorrow. Steve Sands, who will be on site. Uh, this weekend, we'll be joining us on the program to talk about that and more. Well, as you guys know, we wanted to, through all of this, continue to do our show every day the way we always have done for years. And our hope was that it would give a little bit more of a sense of normalcy, you know, admittedly, selfishly to us, as, as well as everybody else. You know, where it's not just a, a constant stream of information coming in one way or the other about what's going on with the, the virus and efforts surrounding it. So we reached out to, how do I define it? People who own pages in golf's history books. Cut and dry. More often than not, these are major champions, and more often than not, their stories are incredible. Along those same lines of more often than not, it, it's rare that a major champion was a flash. It usually has a whole story that's built around it from, from an ascension to, to what happened and what they achieved and everything that goes along with it. That's very much with our case with our guest today. Jerry Pate is joining us on the program in just a minute. He collected 15 professional wins throughout the course of his career, eight of which were on the PGA Tour including the 1976 U.S. Open. He also won the 1982 Players' Championship. That was the first at TPC Sawgrass. Two more on PJ Tour champions, I should mention as well. His career, which we're going to discuss in some detail, it was interrupted, in fairness, by extremely serious problem with his shoulder that prompted surgeries, plural, to try to get to the bottom of it. But his, and this is what I mean about the ascent, his amateur career was a decorated one. And I, and I want to ask him today about that 1974 U.S. amateur, because there are a few that echo through the sands of time, and that's one of them. So I, we'll get into that in, in, in just a second. He went to the University of Alabama. He won the U.S. Amateur that I mentioned to you in 74 that led to being low M at the U.S. Open in 1975. He was runner-up at the NCAAs that year. He was a member of the 1975 victorious U.S. Walker Cup team. 
It was a 15.5 to 8.5 victory over GB&I. And you know what was played? St. Andrews, the old course. How cool is that? I can't wait to ask about that, too, what that experience must have been like. And what you're going to find is I'm going to throw some names at you here that were on that particular team. And you're going to hear recurring those recurring names coming up in a number of different ways. Gary Koch, Jay Haas, Curtis Strange, Craig Stadler amongst. He turned pro in 1975. He was medalist at Q School. As I mentioned, he won the 76 U.S. Open, uh, thus as a rookie. Only a few short weeks later, he wins the Canadian Open. And to do it, he closed with a 63. You know who he beat that day? That week, Jack Nicholas. after that 63. I'm telling you, it's crazy. Of course, he was named Rookie of the Year in 1976. He was co-player of the year. He went on to win six more times on tour. He was a member of the 1981 United States Ryder Cup team. If you talk to people who are devotees of the Ryder Cup, most will tell you the best team ever was the 1981 United States Ryder Cup team. I do want to find out, get into the injury, what happened, what he went through, what that was like. He played in 27 championships from the years 1976 through 1982. Those are the sandwich years in which he had his highest success on tour. 27. Get this. Jerry Pate had 10 top 10s out of 27. That's a 40% clip of top 10s and majors. Just to give you a sense of the company that that keeps through that run. Rory, 44%. Tiger, 48%. Jack, 44%. Dustin Johnson, 40%. Jordan Spieth, 35%. Tom Watson, 31%. Lee Trevino, 25%. Did I tell you Gary Player? He's 29%. So he only played in 38 majors total. He finished in a top 25 in 20 of 35. He had 11 top 10s, a third, two runner-ups, and, of course, that U.S. Open victory. On top of that, he is a very successful golf course designer and a very successful businessman, both with the golf carts and the turf business and everything else he has going on. Fascinating individual is Jerry Payton. We welcome him to the program. Jerry, how have you been? Oh, I'm fantastic. Bless. God's been good to me. And, uh, you know, you gave me a, quite an introduction. I don't even know how to follow up, but with, with with the short career I had before I was injured in 1982, about a seven-year stint, you know, God had a plan for me to do something differently. And I'm, I was able to do so many different things that you couldn't even dream of meet a lot of different people, be in different fields of businesses and have a business now that three of my children are involved with me. My brother's involved. I've got other relatives. Uh, enjoyed meeting so many people. And, uh, you know, I, I, I look back to 1976 when I started, and even though I planned on playing five Champions Tour events this year, I still play a little bit at 66. Uh, I think, God, what it been like if I had done nothing but just play the tour my whole life? You know, in hindsight, sure, I might have won a lot of tournaments, made a lot of money, but it's been kind of boring, you know, because I've been able to do all these other other things. In fact, you mentioned shoulder surgeries. I just hung up from an hour-and-a-half uh, board call with the Andrews Institute uh, Foundation Board in Pensacola, which Jim Andrews, I was involved with Jim as early as 1978. I played with him when he was in Columbus, Georgia, and I – was involved with him there on the foundation board. He was the most famous for it is at 78 years old, still the most famous sports medicine doctor of all time, done over 50,000 surgeries. And wow. people go, there's no way. Well, way he has. And uh, he, he and a couple other guys, Frank McHugh and Lanny Johnson, were the pioneers of arthroscopy of the joints. And uh, the crazy thing is I'm still involved with Jim Andrews, and he's to this day is one of my closest friends. And he says, you know, it wasn't people like you. It wasn't for people like you to just keep trying to have surgery from 1982 when I got injured until 2008 was my last surgery, and I think they finally fixed my shoulder. We learned by people that just kept trying to rehab, kept coming back. And so 
you know, it helped a lot of people, and that's what life's about, giving back. How can you help somebody, not how can you be a taker, but how you can be a producer and a giver. That's very cool, Jerry Pate. I'm going to take you back to a, a quote from you back from 1988 where you said, quoting, all my life, the check was on its way to the bank every week. The course was perfectly manicured. The hotel room was clean for you every day. I always had new clothes from the sponsors. There were packages of brand new golf balls in the locker every week, and the clubs were all shiny because the caddy washed them. It was a perfect world. And when the bubble broke, the toughest thing to realize was sometimes things just don't go the way that you'd like. Close quote. How hard was it then? for you to take that after the description of all things that were paved in gold that led to it. Well, you know, it's kind of funny. I've been a Toro and Echo and club car distributor now 22 years in the Southeast. And I know the last chairman of Toro, Mike Hoffman said, you're the most competitive guy I've ever met. You know, you know, you're always <laughs> pushing the envelope here. You want to be better. You want us to do better, blah, 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 blah. And I said, Mike, you don't even know. Go hang around. Jack Nicholas, Hale Irwin, Gary Player, Lee Trevino. I said, they cut your heart out. They're so competitive. And uh, the craziest thing about that is you learn how to compete, but you learn how to be fair in competition. That's the beauty of golf. There's so many basic boundaries of life skills of being fairness and being a giver and not a taker. You know, the PGA Tour has always pushed that. The PGA Tour has given back more money to charity than all these sports, you know, and all hundreds of millions of dollars and billions of dollars in these sports and PGA yes. tour is all about giving. And so that was the philosophy that I had been brought up on. And so when I was injured at age 28, basically my career was over. I had a 10 year exemption and uh, uh, about three months after one of the players had a 10 year exemption, my career was done. And I floundered around three years before having surgery in 85, 86, 87 and realized it wasn't going to get any better. Didn't have proper rehab, had good surgery. And so I ended up going to work for ABC Sports for five years, and then my wife didn't want me to be on the road doing that. So I came back, and I worked about four years with CBS, and she still didn't want me on the road. She wanted me to be home with my kids. So I went sure. into doing other things. But it was a, it was one of those things in life where I didn't look back. I just kept trying to go forward and do good things with my life. You know, I've always been extremely competitive. I've been very vocal uh, at times. And, you know, probably there's a lot about Jerry Pate down deep people don't know they probably think i'm the cockiest you know most brash guy but that was just insecurity of me being a young guy never sure. playing in a u.s amateur and winning it never playing in a florida amateur and winning it never playing in a world amateur and winning it never going to the qualifying school and winning it go out on the tour my first u.s open i win it and all of a sudden wow you know i better act like i'm good because i've won some things and i don't really know in my heart am i really good at this you know you know i was studying business at alabama going to work for coca-cola for the bottling group my dad was working with and i had no idea i was going to be a pro golfer and, and uh you know god had his plan you know i got injured i got back involved with the university went back and completed my degree and you know today involved with the university athletic department and the golf program there and you know, helping kids like Justin Thomas get a scholarship to Alabama when he came there. You know, that, that makes me feel good. And and uh, I can remember as a kid hearing people say, I went to Wake Forest, Curtis Strange did, or Jay Hustle, the Arnold Palmer scholarship. And I'm going, God, I'd yeah. like to be successful enough to endow a scholarship at Alabama once I was there because we didn't make any money on the tour in the 70s. And to be, be successful enough to help build a golf program for kids to come back, have alumni weekends, and say, hey, I'm proud to be an Alabama alumni in golf, not just a guy that played football or basketball. And so I would have never been able to do these things if I hadn't been injured. So, as I said, God had a different road for me. It was up to me to choose which which door to open. Do I want to be poor me, you know, go in the in the, in the the trash can, or do I want to get up and make something out of myself and, and try to be successful? And so that was the road I picked. I picked the door on the right, you know, and was just lucky that God <laughs> – was good to me and my wife and, you know, had three great children and six great grandchildren and still married to the same woman I love for 44 years. So life's been terrific, although my career was cut short, so I don't look back. All right, well, let's go back to the beginning of the career, beginning, if you will, from the standpoint of the 1974 U.S. Amateur that you had mentioned. So here you are, rising senior at the University of Alabama. You go up to the Ridgewood Country Club, 
And that U.S. amateur, the mix of people that were there from the veteran campaigners like Bill Campbell and Dick Sitteroff and Jerry Corville, and then you've got you guys that are coming in, most of the guys in college, but again, names folks that I had mentioned before to keep keep uh, listening to, Curtis Strange and, and, and Jay Haas and Andy Bean and Gary Koch and Bill Rogers and George, George Burns and defending champion Craig Stadler. You come into this mix, Jerry Pate. Now, I mean, you knew you were a player, obviously, but what do you remember of that week and going up there to New Jersey, and what were your thoughts in terms of what you hoped to to accomplish, if you recall? Well, you know, I give a lot of credit to two people, Andy Bean and Vinny Giles, and an old guy who passed away named Bill Harvey. And they came to Pensacola to play in the old American Amateur, which before that was the Falstaff. And I was a Pensacola Country Club kid playing at Alabama, which was a football school. And they said, you know, God, this guy can really play. And I had not played in a state junior or a state amateur or a U.S. amateur, nothing. Played in no Eastern Amateur, Porter Cup, Western Amateur, nothing. And Vinny told my dad, he said, you know, you might want to try to get some money up and send your kid to some of these bigger amateur tournaments. So Andy Bean came that year, and he was at Florida. I was at Alabama. So we would play in matches together. And I knew the Georgia guys, the Billy Cratchits and the Danny Yates and, the, you know, <laughs> David Knipes and, and all those guys, Lynn Lotts. But I was an Alabama golfer. We, we couldn't beat anybody. And so Bean says, why don't you come to Lakeland, Florida? The Florida Amateurs at my golf course down there at Greenleaf. I said, oh, I'm not good enough. He said, no, come stay with me. He called the guy who was running the Florida State Golf Association. He said, well, the field is full. He said, you got to let this guy in. He's a good friend of mine. He's good. He says, okay, we'll make an exception. So he let me in. I go and I stay at his house, and guess who I beat by one shot to win the Florida Amateur in the, on the last two holes, Andy Bean. And so wow. he said, well, let's go, try to, he said, let's go try to qualify for the U.S. Amateur. It's in Jacksonville. I said, you can stay with my grandparents. You know, my granddaddy was an old member of Ponte Vedra in San Jose. So we go down there and stay at my grandparents' house. And we go and qualify. Both of us qualified, San Jose, and I won the medal. And when I saw that medal, I went, oh, my God, you know, I'm going to the U.S. Amateur. And so I get up there, and there's Vinny's up there and all these top amateurs. And Vinny kept saying, you know, you're you're a fine player. You know, you just got to believe in yourself. And it was one match, second match. I ended up winning eight matches, beat John Grace in the finals, who could really play from Fort Worth. In fact, John Grace got beat the next year in the finals by Fred Ridley. So he was back-to-back uh, wow. in all world. Because Fred was in Florida at the time. And, hey, Fred was a hell of a player, and he was hardly playing in any of the tournaments. And now he's the chairman of Augusta National. And it's all world. Fred and I are very close friends. But, you know, in that group of people that we played college golf with, it's amazing how many people had success stories on the tour and off the tour. Yeah. And just that kind of time of life when Vietnam War was going on in the early went left or right you either wanted to be an established kid and work hard and earn you know throw a paper route try to get a job or you wanted to say the heck with establishment we all went the right direction decided to hang out at golf courses and try to get scholarships and play golf and then we learned the the, the basic boundaries of golf which is about truth and fairness and hard work and and losing you know golf you got to learn how to lose every day in golf and I'll tell you a really great story, and, and I know I can tell you a million of them. I get a, I, and Coach Bryant, when I won U.S. Amateur, he sent me a telegram that, that final day, and he said, I hope all your putts drop and whatever. I hope you win from Alabama, Paul and Mary Harmon Bryant. So I put it in my bag, and when I won in New Jersey, I pulled it out at the press conference, and I read it, and all the headlines was not Jerry Pate, U.S. Amateur champion, because nobody knew Jerry Pate. That wasn't a headline. It was another national championship for the Bears. So... <laughs> that was the headline was Bear Bryant's boy won the championship. I didn't know who I was. So anyway, it's amazing. Bryant calls me. I'm, I'm on the tour. I've won about five times, I guess, in, in about three years or so, four or five times. And he calls me and goes, hey, pro, what the hell's wrong with you? And I said, what's going on, coach? He said, you ain't won a damn tournament. I said, coach, I've had like 12 seconds in the last three years, 12. I mean, I've run her up. And a third at the Masters, I got beat a shot by Stadler at 82. But anyway, I'm losing these 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 tournaments, and I'm not winning. And he said, "Well, you got to win." I said, "Well, coach, think about it. When you play on Saturday, you got to play for two and a half hours against one team. That's all you got to do. Coach those kids up. I got to play four days against 156 guys and beat them every day." And he looked at me. Hey, listen, he said, got quiet on the phone. He says, 
I never thought of that. He said, that's a hell of an accomplishment. And I said, well, thank you. He said, but get your butt out there and go win one. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. He wasn't gonna, I, I want, hey, Bear Bryant wasn't going to take second place, I can tell you. No. Today, one of my good good golfing buddies, Nick Saban, they ain't even thought about second place with Nick Saban. I mean, if you thought Coach Bryant was competitive, Nick Saban is the ultimate competitor. Out of every great athlete I've ever been around, from Jordan to Barkley to Mickey Mantle to gosh almighty Willie Mays to Joe DiMaggio. These are old guys. Uh, Nicholas's and all the guys on tour that we've been around. Never seen anybody more competitive than Nick Saban. And so I've I've learned a lot from some great teachers. And even today at, at 66, I still learn from Nick. He's a couple of years older than I, and uh, he's quite a leader and a, quite a teacher. It's brilliant stuff. Jerry Pate is our guest. I love these stories and the names of people that his life has crossed paths with. I did want to ask you this. After, when you won, immediately following that, that victory at the U.S. Amateur, you said, quoting, how could I be the United States Amateur Champion? I'm just a hacker, end quote. Was that just kind of a, you know, oh, gosh, look at me? Or, or, or did, did it take that victory for you to start to finally believe in what you were capable of? Well, I don't even think I still believed it at that point in time because I was an unknown. I really had only played maybe one year of top amateur golf and the top top level of golf where I played against the best. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to win. But, come in, you know, you've got to grow in golf. You've got, you just can't, you know, I just didn't just go out and win the amateur or win the open. Um, I, I had little stepping stones. You know, I played and played well at the – American amateur, won the Florida amateur, played well. I was the medalist at the uh, Western amateur and then got beat with Jay Haas in the semifinals or Curtis, one or the other. I mean, I actually followed them on Sunday when they they played the finals. And then we were on buddies. They were at Wake Forest. I was at Alabama. We played on the Walker Cup together. And Curtis and I and Gary Koch and Burns played on the world amateur team. But <laughs> after winning the amateur in August, I got invited to go to the Casa de Campo in the Dominican. And, of course, that's when I first met, met, first met Pete Dye and Alice and PB. And they've been lifelong friends. God bless Pete and Alice have passed away, but PB and I still talk regularly. And, and, and it's a crazy thing. Can you imagine? I went down there and saw that golf course and ended up winning the World Amateur as the medalist with Gary and Curtis and George and our team won. And, and ironically, who would have thought Hort Harden, our captain, who had been a president of the USGA, would become the president of the USGA uh, and – he was president of USA, and he became the chairman of Augusta. I mean, who in the world would have these people touch my life? And ironically, yeah. today, our design company is responsible now that Pete has passed away for the five golf courses at Casa de Campo, agronomically and architecturally. And, and the first thing I told the, the, the families down there that own these, these wonderful five golf courses is, look, these gems are here. We're just going to preserve them. It's like art in a museum. We're just going to yeah. keep the dust off the paintings a little bit, maybe touch up the colors a little bit, but, but we're not putting a bulldozer out there at Casa de Campo, especially on the teeth of the dog. It's one of the greatest golf courses in the world. And so to get to go down at 21 years old and play in Dominican Republic, I just turned 21 and then win there and come back home. And on my senior year of college, I'm winning these college tournaments now. And I didn't win the NCAA. Jay beat me. I had, I had a shot to beat Jay, but didn't pull it off at, at uh at the Scarlet course at Ohio state, Nicholas's course. And, and then, you know, we played the Walker cup and I, our team blew everybody away. And ironically, I lost all four matches and here I was ranked number one amateur in the world, lost all four, but I had to get up off my knees and get rid of the tears and go hit it again and keep trying. And then of course, Stadler and I were, were good buddies and we, we turned pro together and went back to with Gary Koch and went back to the British open in 75 and, Gary and Stadler and Burns and I, the four of us, and they all qualified at Carnoustie the year Watson won, and I missed the, I missed the cut. I missed the qualifier at St. Andrews, and it was over at Carnoustie, the, the actual championship. And so I take the train to London and stay with a Walker Cupper named John Davies, who's a longtime, uh, very respected member at, uh, at, uh, down at um, Sunningdale. And to this day, I still see John at Sunningdale. He lives back and forth between Spain. But if I hadn't lost in qualifying, having a loss, I wouldn't have had a gain of a friend of John Davies. I would have played there and gotten on the plane and flown the next week to the Swiss Open. Instead, I didn't get to play at Carnegie in 75, and that was absolutely – I remember being in tears in the room with Stadler 
going, I cannot believe y'all got qualified for the British Open. That was our first time as pros, and I was 21 years old. I hadn't even turned 22. And I thought, oh, my God, you dummy. You should have got your college degree and completed it and gone to work for Coca-Cola. And here I'm over here turning pro, didn't make it. And so you have to take that loss and learn from it, you know, forget about it, put it behind you, and move forward. And it's the old saying my dad taught me. And, I, again, I talked to Nick Saban about this. You play one play at a time, not, not the game at a time. You play one play. And when I first met Nick, he said, what do you think about? I said, playing one shot at a time. Never get ahead of yourself and forget about the last shot you hit. I don't care if you made a hole-in-one or an eight. You forget about it and move forward. So I had to forget about that week, go have fun in London with John, played the Swiss Open, came back, played a few times, played at Westchester and Pinehurst. Then I went to the qualifying school, got my card, you know, and then I went out on the tour. And you talk about losses, the first hole at qualifying school in 75, I get I'm teeing off on the 10th hole of the Magnolia at Walt Disney. The hardest hole to start on out of all six holes you could have started on the three courses. I make double bogey. First hole. First hole the qualifier. And there's six rounds, and I'm about to cry again walking off there. And here's my wife-to-be. Susie's watching me. And I don't have my college degree. I'm getting married in two weeks. And I said, you again are the dumbest. You know what in the world? You should have stayed in school and gone to work for Coca-Cola. And you know what? I buried the next hole, and I won the qualifying school. So go figure. And, and yeah, here's Andy Bean. And want to think about the God and how he puts people in your life. Here's Andy Bean. I'm playing with Andy Bean in the final round of the qualifier, and we qualify together on the last round of the qualifier, and we go on the tour together with Debbie and Andy and Susie and I. So you never know where God's going to put you. And even on the tour, we had to Monday qualify. So we go to Tucson. First tournament of the year. I'm starting out. I've won the amateur, won the world amateur, won the qualifying school. I played in five or six pro tournaments, you know, was low amateur at the uh, open. Uh, uh, second runner up at the, at the uh, runner up low amateur at the Masters. Made the cut in six pro tournaments while I was in college. And I'm thinking this is easy. I go to Tucson, Monday qualifier, bam, this is the qualifier. So I got another week to wait to qualify. Susie and I get in our little old rented Ford LTD and drive up to Phoenix. You got to hang out for a week, try to make it again. And so, you know, you, you just keep taking little steps to try to get better. And that's the way it is playing baseball, football, lacrosse. It doesn't matter, basketball for anybody. You have to try to grow every day in life and get better. The difference was back then, I was always growing in life for me. Once I got really injured in 1982 and I woke up one day, I said, I got to grow in life for God and other people to try to be a great mentor for people that can learn from my mistakes and learn from my successes and help people have a better world to live in and, you know, for people to to be humble enough to accept loss because everybody's going to have failure in life. Everybody's got flaws and everybody's going to have problems. But you have to get past them, and you have to move past them by being positive and not looking at the glass as half empty, which in 82, when I got hurt, I could have, you know, you could have never heard from me again. I could have just gone and become a drug addict or an alcoholic and just given it up. But, you know, I said, God's got a plan for me. Just keep marching forward. Just put one foot in front of the other and keep going. So that's kind of what I did. Absolutely love it. Now, talking about an ascent and taking one shot at a time, I want to jump back to that 1976 U.S. Open. It's your rookie year. Through 54 holes, John Mahaffey's two strokes ahead, right? And I know it was right. nip and tuck in that final round. You hit, Did you hit a one iron at the par 3 15th at, at Atlantic Athletic Club that day? You, you must have been doing some homework. I did. In fact, people talk about the best shot they've ever seen in the open, the five iron on the 18th hole. I said, the best shot I hit the tournament was 15 was the hardest hole of the course. 230 yards in those days was, you know, a 230 yard par three in 1976 was like a driver, uh, you know, ball didn't <laughs> go anywhere. If you could drive it 265, you were pounding it. I had a one iron. It was downhill 230, and I hit it about six feet and I made a two. And that's when I knew I had a shot at winning. And I, I, I think Mahaffey bogeyed there. So I picked up two shots. He three putted 15 or 16 uh, I picked up a shot he three putted 17 I picked up a shot and now we go on 18 and I think I got a one shot lead so I went from like yeah, behind did. to one shot lead 
And uh, and I had a good drive, I thought, off the 18th hole. But in those days, the hole was different. They moved the tee down below, and it was a lake on the left you couldn't see, and it was a blind tee shot. And so you didn't really know where the corner of the lake was. You just had to kind of guess. So I hit it through the fairway, and we get up there, and there's one ball that's literally a foot in this rough, this Bermuda rough. And the guy has the, the, the young man, the uh, spotter has his flagstick there next to the ball, marking where it is. And then there's one a little farther, and I can see the ball. And I'm going, oh, my God got to be me because i was out hitting Mahaffey probably by 25 30 yards i was pretty decent in length and he was not a long hitter and we get up there and he's got no shot i know he can't get it on the green and when he took a forward out and tried to hack it out there and it went in the water i said hell it's over i'm just gonna hit it on the green back a par and um you know i hit this five iron and it was a perfect line of rough and, and my caddy uh, told me to hit a five john considine again small world john still works for me in pensacola he re- he works in our Toro business there, and he's in charge of receiving in our in our warehouse. And John caddied for me in the qualifying school and caddied for me as far back as uh, the PGA Tour when I was an amateur in college. So, I mean, that's 1975. So John's been working now for, what, how many years is that, 45 years? He's been working for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I don't like to use the word for me. He's been working with me. He works with me and does one of the best jobs in my company and is loyal to me and has spent his whole career um, – uh, working either with me or uh, there was a time where you know you, you you know you get aggravated on tour. He worked for me about five years on tour, and you get aggravated because their eyeballs were not parted right that day, and you fire them, you know, because you had a bad day. It was his fault, not yours, right? He didn't hit the first shot. <laughs> but Considine was the guy that I had one ninety one. I think it was like one eighty and ten or something like that. And he said, I said it's one ninety. It's a four iron. He goes, now you're pumped up. Hit a five. I said, John, a four iron. I said, I can't a 5 190. A 5 was only about a 185. He says, no, a, five, a ball's going to jump. Just hit the 5, and boom, hit it two feet in the hole. And the rest is history. And people used to always ask me, oh, you pulled that shot, whatever. And I said, let me tell you, when you're 22 and you're so wired up, you don't, you could have dropped an atom. Boom. I wouldn't have known anything going off. I got 5-iron, pin, ball, 5-iron, you know, flagstick. Your brain is like hitting the ball on the range. You're in a zone. You just look at the flagstick and bam, and I hit it. And the last thing I didn't want to do, believe it or not, the pin was on the left. I didn't want to go to the right because the green actually started getting shallower up the right side because there was a creek up the right side of the green, and I was coming from way to the right shooting across the creek. And not, and so I didn't want to go to the right because anything to the right of the green was in the lake. I had a bunker that was a little bit to the left and behind me. So. And, you know, I hit it up there, and the whole way up there, I could see it was close, and I kept asking the USGA officials, it was John Lopheimer and I think Harry Easterly, and I said, are you sure I got to do is make a four to win? Yep, all you got to do is make a four. I said, are you make sure, because that was about two feet. And I was never, <laughs> I swear to you, I was never nervous. And I came around that lake, and I looked at the scoreboard, and he said, Jerry, all you got to do is make a four. We've confirmed and now the ball, I can, you know, I can look inside to see the bottom of the hole. I was that close. And when I realized all I had to do was two putt, I'm thinking, oh, God, you know, maybe I hope I don't four putt from here. I was so nervous then. I couldn't really hold. I couldn't feel the putter grip. I remember that. And I, I just said, hit it easy and hit it straight in, and it went right in the middle. But, you know, there's little things like that you remember. And I don't think to this day that I can ever remember being more nervous than that two-foot putt because it was a it was an unbelievable achievement for a 22 year old kid you know to win the open and uh, there were so many god things you know bobby jones father was a lawyer for coca-cola bobby jones worked with coca-cola uh a lot of coca-cola tied in with augusta national and bobby jones from atlanta the headquarters of coca-cola my dad was a bottler heck i was born in georgia my grandfather went to georgia business school in 1920 in atlanta he you know my whole roots are from south georgia southeast georgia in washington county my dad went to school at mercer and graduated from the university of georgia my mom went to wesleyan in georgia and everybody thinks i'm an alabama guy because i went to school there i'm actually a georgian and uh so to win in atlanta the only time the open's been held there and it was asked by bobby jones before he died in 73 to please hold a major championship in atlanta uh you know as a as a as a gift to him and they did and of course now we have the tour championship that tom cousins has been so grateful to redo Eastlake and create a fantastic venue for professional golf and to continue the spirit of the game that, that, 
you know, people like Alexa Sterling and Bobby Jones and Charlie Yates and the Yates family, the Danny Yates, you know, who's a hell of an amateur player and still is. And keep, you know, Billy Payne lives in Atlanta, who's chairman of Augusta. So you got all these great golf people in Atlanta. And uh, I've got a son that lives there. So to win the Open in Atlanta and, and you know, to be an honorary member all these years at Atlanta Athletic Club for 44 years now is quite an honor. And I'm sure they don't think from me it is because I'm never there. But, gosh, I live in Pensacola. I don't live in Atlanta. But I, I uh, respect the club and I respect the membership and I respect, obviously, the USGA as much as anything. Uh, you know, I kind of regret I didn't win the Masters. I got beat a shot there, and I three-putted at the PGA on the last hole at Oakmont to not win the PGA. So, you know, and that was in a short, you know, as you said, within seven years. I kind of am sad, but I'm grateful that I got injured, believe it or not. I am very grateful because it kept my marriage together, my kids together. Uh, it kept my family together. It got me humble enough to realize that, that it ain't about me. You know, I'm just a little speck of dust in the wind through time passing through. And even though my name's on that trophy, it's, it's meaningless if I don't do something in life to better other people because I was on that trophy. So I want to continue to try to give back to golf. You know, as I said, we gosh, I've had a college tournament now 35 years in Birmingham and all these great college kids and kids today at Tiger Woods, is one, you know, uh, uh, um, Roy, Roy Sabatini's won it. David Toms has won it. He won it so many years ago. Now he's on the senior tour. I mean, guys like mm-hmm. Graham McDowell, when he came to UAB, they said, we want to play. They'd never played in. They got a kid from Ireland can really play. I said, I never heard of him. He says, Graham McDowell. I said, still never heard of him. Well, I tell you what, we'll let you play. And he wins my tournament. And a few years later, he wins the U.S. Open. And I tell him that story. I said, hell, I almost didn't let you play in my tournament because we didn't want UAB in there because they weren't a, you know, a big-time school like – Wake Forest or Clemson or Texas or Oklahoma. So, you know, being able to have a tournament every year and give back to college kids. You know, I've had a Boy Scout tournament for 45 years. This will be my 46th annual Boy Scout tournament. Boy Scouts have taken it on the chin publicly in America, and it's one of the greatest organizations ever in in America to help kids. And, sure, there's problems in everything we do, but you just can't pick on people because they had a problem. You try to build people up, lift them up, and help people work through their problems. You don't sit there and beat them down. And so I've continued to be involved in the scouts and the boards of the Boy Scouts in North Florida and have a tournament to raise money for scouting. And, uh, gosh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a strong Republican, and I'm one of Mike Bloomberg's close friends, and he ran for Democratic primary. And Mike Bloomberg came down this fall as my guest and helped me raise $100,000 for Boy Scouts. Because he loves Boy Scouts, and he understands he loves golf, and he understands he's a giver, I'm a giver. It doesn't matter what party you're in. It's what do you mean in life to give back. And um, it's just a wonderful game that brings so many people together. It really does. And uh, uh, I just have had so many great experiences that I would have never had if I hadn't have been injured. I'm telling you, my life would have gone a whole different direction down another road. And who knows how it would have turned out, but but I, I am positive God had a different path for me, and he helped lift me up to be a, 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 a producer and not a consumer. Does that make sense? I want to be a producer in yeah. life, not a consumer. JerryPate.com is uh, Jerry's website if you'd like to keep in touch with all the things that he's going on from the design standpoint, from the business standpoint, even the golf standpoint, and the incredible history that we were recounting here today and telling you guys about from that. U.S. Open in 1976, to close call at the Masters, to close call at the PGA Championship, to winning the first ever players that was held at TPC Sawgrass and everything else that goes into it. My friend, I love your passion. I love your commitment to give back and do for others. And the fact that I know that people are struggling now in particular and to hear a message from you that was at the top of the mountain and then had to go down into the valley before you clawed your way back out again, I know that it's going to inspire people. You're touching and changing lives even now as you're telling the message of your own life, Jerry Pate. So for all of it, we we say thank you. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate it. And my lesson in life is just don't ever give up and don't be a taker, be a giver. You know, you get rewarded in life when you be, when you give from your heart. It's very simple as the stories in the Bible of the lady that only gave a penny. That's all she had, but she gave everything she had. And I can remember talking to Jack recently in the last year or so, 
and kind of hinting. He says, I hope I give everything away that I ever made. And this is Jack Nicklaus now, the greatest of all times. He and Tiger, I would just, you know, flip a coin. But Jack gets it. He gets it. People don't care how many times his name's on that trophy. I mean, think about it. What is it, 15 or 18 seconds in majors? Much less winning 18 times. Crazy. Um, and uh, and Jack was only playing like Tiger did. They only played 15, 16, 17 times a year. But they were driven to be great, okay? Now they finally realize, you know what? Greatness is not measured in, 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 in actual uh, resources of, of capital and uh, it's not measured in, in, in trophies. It's measured in what you give. And if you give everything you can from your heart, that's more important. That is what creates a real winner. And I want my kids to grow up thinking about what they can do for other people, not how many trophies they can win. I want them to be good stewards of the world. I want them to, to be fair. And I tell you, you know, everybody, you know, I've, I've been involved in a lot of different businesses. People like, well, that guy's tough, or he's tough to deal with. I have no tolerance for people that aren't fair. And that's golf. Golf is so unbelievable. And not one player on that PGA Tour has any tolerance for a guy that takes advantage of the rules or the game or the situation. And if you start heading in that direction, when I first came out there, we didn't have a senior tour when I first came out there. And those other guys like Sam Snead and Miller Barber and Don January and Gardner Dickinson and Dan Sykes, I can name them. They'd come up to you, oh, Mike Hill, Dave Hill. They'd chew your butt out and say, boy, rookie, you better get your you-know-what in line because this ain't about you. This is about the tour, okay? Just be a good citizen of the tour and just play the game, and everybody needs to play life by the rules. And if we do that, we don't have all these political battles and these wars and everybody trying to point fingers and try to – it's always about, well, who's responsible? How about looking in the mirror and being responsible for yourself? If you're suffering because of coronavirus today or whatever, you have an opportunity. We live in the greatest nation of all times, of more natural resources and more wealth in this country. If you can't start out just picking up trash off the street and be successful, it's because you didn't work hard at it. you gotta, you got to pick up, you know, the old guy told me, just pick up a shovel and do something with it, but be the best digger in the world, and then you can move on to be the foreman, and then you can own your construction company. But... Uh, I'm sure there's stories about people that did pick up trash that owned big, giant um, uh, garbage and, and recycling companies that sold out to waste management for tens of millions of dollars. So, but this is the greatest country in the world, and you have to take one step and put it in front of the other, and you have to be a giver and not a taker. And that was the success to, to my story when I got injured and could have said, hey, this ain't fair. It's not fair. But you know what? Life is not fair. And and the the way to make it fair is to is to be a giver because we're as I said we're all just passing through time and you've got to be able to feel good about what you do you have to have a purpose in your life to say I'm gonna be the greatest player or I'm gonna be the greatest caddy or I'm gonna be the greatest radio announcer or television announcer but the ones that are the greatest you know they are because people talk about them and Ken Venturi pulled me aside one time he said you know what you're a hell of a player he said but Good players can talk about themselves, and, and you talk about yourself. When I was a young guy, I talked about myself, believe me. And he said, great players, everybody else talks about you. So if somebody compliments you, that's a great compliment that you are humble enough that you don't have to talk about yourself. And believe me, I was the worst. You know, there was probably only one or two worse than I was. But And that wasn't because I was good. It was because I was so insecure. I mean, I was the most insecure guy. You know, how did I do, put all that together in two or three years and then go on the tour in seven years and poof, it's like a magic trick. I'm gone. Uh, nobody knows. But as I said, God had a purpose. And, and so I'm very blessed. I have a great wife, Susie, and three great children and six great grandchildren and good brothers and sisters that are with me that, that have uh, good things to say about their families and, and, and my family. So that's what's important to me. I love it. I absolutely love it. Jerry Pate, thank you so much for all this incredible amount of time you gave us. It is so awesome catching up with you. Thank you, Matt. You have a terrific show, and, and uh, you just keep moving forward. You do a great job promoting good things. So thank you for including me in your, in your life. Appreciate it. It was our honor, sir. Thank you. I do want to remind everybody, as you could tell, I put off all of our, our sponsors' reads until the end here, so I am going to ask you quickly to, to please remember, benhogangolf.com, log on there and see the new icon 
forged blade irons they are absolutely beautiful see the ptx pro irons a new driver their wedges their putters all of it you can find on there and you'll see why their direct relationship as a micro manufacturer with you is a special one indeed french lick resort it is so good that we're bringing listeners there that's the highest accolade i think the fairways of life show can give a destination to say this is so cool and so much fun we want to come there with our own family and that is all of you fairwaysoflife.com slash french lick for more details on that tour edge golf they are special uh, one you know if you're if you're going to stand out from the crowd how do you do it you do things like oh a lifetime warranty think about that for a second a lifetime warranty the best in the world are playing their products not merely because they're ambassadors you've got people that are not part of their paid in in, in ambassador staff you got people that are playing them because they're the best touredge.com for you to find clubs with all of the latest technology without having to refinance your your mortgage in order to afford to buy the product as well bridgestone golf their new reactive urethane cover has reinvented the golf ball no longer do you have to choose between spin or distance you can have them both in one ball just log on to bridgestonegolf.com and check it out and finally uh, not least though ireland.com i am so proud to represent ireland.com and i do it with all of my bias inherent and it's with good reason it is the best links golf in the world let's start planning on this today let's go let's take a couple trips there when when all this stuff blows over why not ireland.com to get you up to speed folks thank you so much for your company please have a good day be safe out there take care of each other we'll see you again tomorrow Tour Edge continues their meteoric rise in 2020. Over 90 different tour pros have put Tour Edge into their bag, including staffers Scott McCarron, Tom Lehman, Tim Petrovic, and Duffy Waldorf. Tour Edge makes clubs for every player type, and they set themselves apart with their unprecedented 48-hour delivery on custom-fit orders and by offering a lifetime warranty and by building their clubs in the good old U.S. of A. Visit touredge.com to learn more about their new clubs for 2020. Tour Edge, pound for pound, nothing comes close. Come to where history meets luxury at the family-friendly French Lick Springs Hotel, where there's something for everyone, from kids' fest to shopping, bowling, golf, and other outdoor activities. Or at the West Baden Springs Hotel, you can wrap yourself in old-world elegance, visit our luxurious spa, indulge in an afternoon tea, a historic tour, and multiple sophisticated dining options. Then, finish your day with a cozy carriage ride before turning in for sweet dreams. Only this isn't a dream. Visit FrenchLick.com to plan your vacation today. It's no secret that FootJoy Flex has been one of the best-selling shoes in the game for the last few years. You can literally wear these things anywhere. Well, they now have a version that's completely redesigned and fully waterproof. It's called the Flex XP. You can wear these to and from work, hit a bucket of balls at the range, play 18 of them, wear them into the clubhouse, or out to dinner. Many have tried this type of versatile shoe in the past, but leave it to FootJoy to elevate the category. Now you can start flexing with the all-new Flex XP. Learn more about Flex XP at FootJoy. If you listen to the wind, you can hear it. That's Ireland calling you home. Home to the greatest Lynx golf courses in the world, defined by soaring dunes, undulating fairways, venerable bunkers, and whimsical green complexes. From Royal Portrush in Northern Ireland, site to the 2019 Open Championship, to Ballyliffin, La Hinch, and Ballybunion, numbering among the Lynx golf masterpieces awaiting your golfing sojourn. Come home to Ireland and enjoy the most incredible golf experience of your life. Get started at Ireland.com. Boyne Golf provides the ultimate world-class golf destination with 10 championship-caliber courses spanning three resorts. Centered in Michigan's northern Lower Peninsula, the courses are the products of some of the game's masters, including Robert Trent Jones Sr., Arthur Hills, and Donald Ross. From the all-inclusive vacation packages, elite instruction with the Boyne Golf Academy, tournaments, and so much more, Boyne Golf truly offers an unrivaled Michigan golf vacation experience. Just log on to BoyneGolf.com and take in all the splendor that is a golf experience unlike any other. TheGolfTravelGroup.com is a luxury golf tour operator that specializes in custom travel itineraries to Scotland, Ireland, England, Wales, Iceland, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, and more. Guaranteed advanced tee times, incredible accommodations, airport meet and greet services, private guided tours and private drivers, all in luxury vehicles, and they have a staff that's been doing it forever. TheGolfTravelGroup.com. 
Take your game to the max this spring with the all-new Tour X Golf Shoe from FootJoy. Fully loaded inside and out, Tour X delivers max stability, max control, and max comfort. So you can launch it past your buddies. The Tour X wraps your foot in coziness with an ortho light impressions fit bed and a foam collar around the heel, ensuring max in-shoe comfort and support. Tour proven by players like Kevin Kister and Rafael Cabrera-Bayo. Experience max performance for yourself with the all-new Tour X. Shop now at FootJoy.com. What's your bucket list destination? Where have you always wanted to go? What's the number one thing that holds people back from doing that? It's fear of logistics. I don't know where to stay. I don't know how to get tea times. I don't know where to go. I don't know who should take me there. Well, I'll tell you who knows the answer to all those questions. TheGolfTravelGroup.com. That's why the Fairways of Life show has aligned ourselves with these experts. And is there some place you want to go, like the Open or a President's Cup or a Ryder Cup? They can take care of that as well. What is your golf bucket list? Where do you want to go? Do it with TheGolfTravelGroup.com. BenHoganGolf.com is where you can go to see the beautiful product that's being produced right now, bearing the name of the legend. You know, when he founded the original company in 1953, Ben Hogan said he did it, quote, to design and manufacture the best golf clubs in the world, end quote, and that is exactly what their mantra is today, only it's going directly to you, not through retail stores, so they're saving that 40%, 50% retail markup. You can get the best, and you can get it directly from their master craftsmen. Log on to BenHoganGolf.com now. Nestled amongst the hills of the Hoosier National Forest resides a classic American destination, the French Lick Resort. Experience the ultimate in golf at the Pete Dye Course at French Lick, voted number one course in Indiana on Golf Week's Best You Can Play for 10 years in a row. The Donald Ross Course at French Lick has been named Indiana's number two course in Golf Week's Best You Can Play rankings every year since 2011. Come experience old world opulence amid modern comfort served with Midwestern charm. Visit FrenchLick.com. It screams, it tracks, it's soft, it reacts, it is the all-new Tour B with a game-changing reactive cover designed to spring faster off your driver and stick longer to your wedges. Try the new Tour B, the Tour Ball Reinvented. It's time for you to discover Streamsong, a new kind of resort that takes the everyday ordinary to the absolutely extraordinary. Three internationally acclaimed link-style courses by golf architecture's iconic foursome of Gil Hans, Tom Dove, Bill Kaur, and Ben Crenshaw that provide a golf experience distinguished as unlike any you've ever had before, with undulating fairways navigating through wild grasses and deep water ponds and lakes, towering sand dunes to find the unexpected experience of playing golf at Streamsong, the ultimate legendary golf destination set apart by the unexpected. Streamsongresort.com. 